With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Spring Game Week. Happy Spring Game Week. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Mets, despite the fact that, knock on wood, they haven't lost since we last recorded. <laughs> uh, they're, every week is Happy Mets Week. I don't know That's if you've true. ever watched this team before. Um, but they don't lose, apparently. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just, on a, you know, 161-1. You know, they slipped up in a little bit since the Cardinals, but pretty, you know, I think we all expected them to win at least 140 games, so it makes sense. Can't win them all, you know. It's just a really long season. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Only like 91% of them. <laughs> Indeed, and we'll spare everybody Mets talk from here. Um, as Dan mentioned, it is spring game week. We made the interesting decision of having it on a Friday night. Um, ends up it probably wouldn't have mattered much as far as getting televised, um, given that there's kind of like an unlimited inventory of watch ESPN games, plus like half the country has canceled their spring games due to inclement weather this weekend. Syracuse obviously doesn't have to worry about that, not because it doesn't get inclement weather, but because we play inside and almost every other school plays outdoors. Yeah, we might be in, like, all the ESPNs this week, because I think, like, everyone in the Big Ten basically canceled, plus I think Iowa State has, like, tornado warnings or something. Then Louisville's um, shifted to our time. Okay, I didn't see that. Um, That's annoying. Yeah, I mean, it's what it is. I'm not too worried about spring game te- uh, television. I mean, it'll be nice to be able to watch it, hopefully, but I'm not, like, overly concerned about television audience for, you know, what our whatever our scrimmage ends up being. <laughs> This is true. Yeah, I just want to be able to watch it, and I don't really care what the uh, what the method of doing so is. I'll watch on my phone if I need to. Yeah, I'm sure I'll have it on. What time do we kick off in? It is a seven o'clock Eastern game. Yeah. So, so if one was here, it'd be like six fifty. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things that ever happened, where people got really upset, and and I guess like somewhat justifiably so when Dud Marone just out of literally nowhere started the spring game early <laughs> and no one was in the dome yet it was it was really funny people were very upset online maybe he just wanted to you know have the first couple plays uh be a surprise yeah i'm sure i'm sure they were very uh cloak and daggers trick plays that he didn't want the uh these three thousand people that weren't in the dome yet to see mm. well, yeah i actually think there's gonna be a decent amount of people there uh you know aside from maybe some weather issues uh, they are doing the select a seat thing again, um, starting at five. So there, there is going to be some things going on. There's going to be stuff happening afterwards. Going to get autographs. It, it, I think that for me, like this is just what the spring game should be. Like it doesn't need to be anything crazy serious. People just want to, you know, see some showcase of the new talent and 
you don't even have to run any or many of the real plays. Like you can just really showcase how some of the kids that people haven't seen before are, are looking, um, get people excited about the new team and, and try to convert that into ticket sales. And, and, and I think if you add some autograph stuff for the kids, that's kind of a nice and like, a, you know, get them to hang out on the field. I think that's a nice, uh, you know, added bonus that, that'll get people especially for a free event um, and free parking get people to kind of come out on a friday night rather than just watch at home especially now that it's so much easier to to catch the game if you're not you know in syracuse yeah i mean we thought about a little last week we have the added benefit of having a very highly touted freshman quarterback who will probably be taking most of the snaps i don't know i know dungy played a little bit in the last game is he he expected to play much in the in the spring game i doubt dino's gonna say anything about it but i i'd be shocked if he took more than like two series and i'm sure he'll be marked um as as all the quarterbacks probably will um for no contact yeah i guess it would make sense if he played in the last one that he'd get some reps in this one but um i think Dun- i mean it, we all we talked about it last week like we know what dungy is uh, obviously we expect more from him and we expect a big season from him and we talked about it last week again like i'm not gonna ever be too crazy about like whether or not spring game uh attendance is good or not because there are so few teams that um actually have like impactful spring games and right. you see it this week like if, if i don't think nebraska would cancel its spring game for inclement weather because they make a lot of money and i don't think ohio state isn't canceling it they're one of the few in the big 10 that are not that is not and they they sell out but like when michigan uh is turning down the like thirty thousand or so people or forty thousand people that were going to show up for that because it's just not worth it for them like it kind of shows what the spring game is like it's for diehards it's for people who have uh, really nothing to do on Saturday. Um, and otherwise, like, most, most you know, casual fans can get by with that, and that's fine. Uh, I'm not ever going to be too crazy about whatever happens in the spring game, short of, like, a bad injury or the team just looking absolutely dreadful maybe isn't the best. Yeah, I mean, it was weird last year. I did feel like our spring game was... Uh... Not completely foreboding for some offensive struggles without Dungy, and and it didn't necessarily predict how well the defense was looking early on, but you could kind of see some of the hallmarks of both um, in the contest. You know, it was 10 nothing was the final. Uh, offense really wasn't moving the ball super well, but at the same time, like you saw some defensive strides. I think we'll see a couple more this year. Um, what I'm most curious about, and I guess we can kind of start here, and something that we kind of addressed last week, like... Um, I, I want to see what the pass rush looks like, and, and for two reasons. I want to see what it looks like in terms of having most of the team back healthy. Um, you know, Josh Black is back in action. Um, I'm not sure what the, the status of, uh, you know, Kendall Coleman's going to be necessarily, um, and some of the other players that have uh, that have been a little banged up. I know Jake Picard and Coleman have both um, participated in, in pieces of spring practice, um, and hopefully we can at least see some glimpses of them. But, you know, seeing guys like Alton Robinson, who led the team in sacks last year, uh, Kingsley Jonathan, who came on really well, you know, Justin Ellis and, uh, and Zach Morton. Uh, Morton, we didn't see any of last year. Uh, so those are some guys that I kind of want to see on the line, generate some pressure. But on the other hand, I um, also want to see how uh, this offensive line, which has really kind of become one of the predominant storylines of, uh, of spring practice so far, um, and, and their kind of resurgence and what they're going to be able to do this year with a lot more experience. Um, kind of want to see how, how they're going to be able to deal with what should be increased pressure. Yeah, uh, the defensive line um, has just been kind of being pieced together the last couple of years. I actually think both lines um, have some interesting advantages of, like, having had bad injury situations recently, so you have a lot of guys with experience. Obviously, the offensive line, there's a good piece on that in Syracuse.com today about how 
We have, uh, I think, our first intact, like, five-man line with at least 12 games of, of starting experience since, like, 1989. Wow. Uh, which was interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised it's been that long because usually you don't have all five guys back. Um, or in this case, like, five guys from two different starting lines back. Um, but I thought 2012 was pretty close. Yeah, I think maybe we subbed in, like, one guy. Right. Um, I don't remember exactly who was on the 2012 line. But we've had some similar lines in the past. Um but this one, like, has a ton of experience. And I think most of those guys, while, like, being pushed into spots early, like, individually acquitted themselves pretty well as, like, redshirt freshmen or sophomores. So I think with all of them being a full year uh, past that and, and having all that experience, it should be, if not a strength, at least, like, a major step forward from what it has been. And then the defensive line has just been so piecemeal. But I think there are, like, those individual talents that uh, you can get excited about, like Alton Robinson, like Black, like some of these other players that have had, like, moments. And now, you know, if you can get a full, you know, deeper group together, um, it might not be perfect, but you have guys that you know can make plays in spots. And if you have enough of those guys, then you're in pretty decent shape in college football. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, what I think under Schaefer that Syracuse was never really able to convert um, injuries into meaningful depth. Um, so this is going to be a test for Babers in a lot of ways. Like, now you have, like we said, on both on both lines – um, injuries ended up leading to a lot of starts for a lot of different guys. Now we're able to bring in, you know, not just not just bring back starters, but bring back usable depth behind them, bring back experience depth behind them. I'm really excited to see what Robinson can do with an entire offseason. Um, he showed up very, very late in the process. You know, he was an August um, edition uh, Juco ad, and, and still he was able to lead the team in sacks. So I want to see what he can do and you know, what he can do, what, what Chris Slayton is able to do. Um, I feel like him and McKinley-Williams really kind of got into a rhythm last year uh, with, you know, Kate and Samuels, who's no longer with the program. But the, the two of them are super experienced. Uh, I really think, you know, we can get more out of Kenny Ruff. I want to see more of Chris Elmore on the defensive side. Like, there, there's a lot to like. I'm a little concerned about the defensive tackle position, if only because we don't really have the same depth there that we do on the outside. Uh, nonetheless... I just really like what we're what we're dealing with here, and again, I think it's going to be one of the the, the areas that everybody really pays attention to um, during this spring game. Yeah, defensive tackle is definitely one of the it's been one of the areas of concern for this team for a long time, and, and overall, like that's one of the hardest positions to really recruit great depth at if you're not like Alabama. Um, there just aren't that many defensive tackles that can really play the position super well. Um, but if you we have I think like three or four defensive ends that. Um, at least have talent, and obviously Robinson put together a really you know nice season, all things considered, last year. Especially considering there wasn't a ton of defensive tackle help to like eat up blocks and get one on ones uh, on the outside. And I think that pass rush can really benefit what we're trying to do on defense. Where um, I think we, based on what we've heard from the coaches this off season, I think we might start playing a little bit of that more of that uh, like high upside ball. Where um, I think they're on the in the defensive backfield, they're talking about playing receivers closer and and maybe going for more interceptions, more turnovers, and then if we can start compiling some sacks, like, you're going to get beaten deep sometimes, and yeah. that was already the case, to be honest. But uh, we were going to be deep without getting pressure on the quarterback. Might as well um, just... <laughs> might as well try to get some sacks and, you know, give it your best shot and get the ball back to Dungey and company. So I think that that is what this defense could aim to do down the road, and, and hopefully we'll start to see a little more of this last year, because uh, defensive turnovers were just so hard to come by for us last year. I don't think... what what How long did we go with that one at the end last season? Um, at one point, we had like six games where Dungey was the only person to force a turnover. Yeah, that wasn't great. That was uh, often an interception. I think he what, forced the fumble like 
relatively close to the uh, Syracuse end zone, which not your ideal spot. That one was was like he threw he threw an interception on like a screen, and then he was like the first guy to the ball and then strip it. <laughs> like, yes, I do remember this. Um, that that was also the game when when he like kicked somebody in the chest. Very very feisty dungeon in that one. Um, I think it was basically after the Clemson game we just stopped turning people over. Oh yeah, no, and and a and lot of <laughs> and also winning a, a lot of that. And we've talked about this before, and it's worth talking about that if we talk about the defensive backs now. Is like a lot of that was because of the departure of Jordan Martin, who got injured. Like Martin just added, he didn't put up gaudy numbers at the safety spot, but ever he moved to safety, um, he seemed to stabilize that uh, you know the back four the defense a lot and, and provide some real nice help for you know Christopher Hendrick and uh, Scoop Bradshaw, who were still kind of rounding into their roles as first-time starting corners, and, and having Martin back there and really manning the middle, like, as probably the best, I mean, it's not to even slight Cordy, but it's to just say, like, Cordy is a different skill set that doesn't necessarily make him a center fielder. Um, Martin's, what, 6'2", 6'3", um, can cover a lot of ground and was covering a lot of ground and really helping out the corners um, and helping reduce those big plays downfield. And you saw once he was injured, um, unfortunately, uh, that those big play numbers went up uh, considerably. And it wasn't because necessarily that Hendrick and uh, and Bradshaw were playing any worse, but because they didn't have that support from Martin and they were dealing with, you know, players that just simply weren't built for this kind of, uh, you know, Tampa 2 system. Yeah, Martin was definitely a nice, uh, a nice addition last year. And having an experience, uh, and like you said, a bigger free safety who could kind of make up for, um, you know, busted coverages on the outside and, and really kind of erase those mistakes um, was nice. And the defense, obviously, when you lose a, a big-time, you know, starter, is always the case, but the defense definitely have, had uh, didn't quite play up to the level afterwards. Um, and I think there was just some fatigue and just some, some wear and tear on a young team as well. Um but hopefully, again, you know, I feel like we say this every year and then there's always a rash of injuries and that, that, that is football to an extent. But hopefully this year we'll have, like, a manageable number of injuries that, like, most teams deal with and we can actually see, um, you know, a pretty experienced growing group uh, get to, you know, show what it's built versus, like, having to piece together these, these units full of players that shouldn't be playing yet. Um, which I feel like has been the case for so long now. Uh, it, it'd be, it'll be nice. It'll be like a... You know, it'll be nice to be able to exhale and like reliably say you know everyone who's on the field and you know that they should be on the field. Yeah, I mean, I'm still a little skeptical, uh, like because I know we continually over the last couple of years have been looking at you know oh we have a glut of defensive backs we keep adding more guys we have all this experience but we also keep losing guys to transfer. I think at this point, um, I believe is Cordy the only Schaefer recruit left in the secondary at this point. I don't know off the top of my head, but that could very well be the case. Yeah, I think that is... I have to go through the whole roster. I mean, I guess Tyrone Perkins counts, but like, yeah. but, but he's also... He wasn't recruited as a member of the secondary, and I don't necessarily think he sees minutes back there. Like, I mean, he might in, in the spring game, but I, I don't... I mean, I, no offense to Perkins. I just don't know if I want a converted running back playing strong safety in an ACC game necessarily <laughs> unless we see something like really kind of stunning and that he really took to the position super well um, you know here in the spring I'm looking um, to see 
if who who was yeah that might be it yeah i'm going through the d-bats now we've lost at least three in each of the last two off seasons yeah which is interesting because you would think that like they would understand that because there are so many young guys cycling through like you know a junior or senior is gonna have some kind of leg up to play yeah but I, I guess what too, it is. I don't really blame anyone for going to try to find a better opportunity to play. So no, not at all. And like with the system fit issue, I mean, if you're if you're a guy like Rodney Williams or Cordell Hudson or anybody like that, and you're trying not to point out just those two guys, I mean, all of the the players that have transferred. Um, if you wanna if you wanna put together an NFL you know highlight film and potentially get on teams' radars. Playing in a system that doesn't necessarily fit your skill set, and, and and having most of your you know uh, tape be getting you know, getting roasted because you're not you're not built for that position, and you were recruited for an entirely different um, you know skill set. Like I, I could totally understand why you make that decision, especially late in your career. Yeah, and we kind of saw that with uh, with Chauncey Stism, who um, I think we all kind of lost track of, but I think he had a pretty nice last year at UNLV, and I think he he just tested really well. Um, in his pro day. So I don't know that he'll be drafted, but it sounds like, you know, that transferred to, to a different school after, you know, he obviously had that, that terrible attack and mm-hmm. everything else that went down towards the end of his Syracuse career. But I think that worked out fairly well for him. So you do hope when these guys leave that they, they do find what they are looking for in their next school. Yeah, it, there's no, it doesn't hurt, uh, doesn't hurt Syracuse at all for that to happen. No, hundred percent. It's the same way. Like if somebody declares the draft early, it doesn't, doesn't do anything to us for, for someone to, to find a better opportunity. I know this year, uh, other you know, on top of the other players that left, you know, uh, you, people might have forgotten about Jordan Fredericks, who uh, transferred after his second year at SU, um, and he'll actually be suiting up for UMass. I think he's contending for the starting job, actually, um, at running back this year for UMass. I knew he was at UMass, and I kind of like lost track of him after that, but good for him. Yeah. I always thought he had a little more ability. I mean, we, we had some moments with him, and I thought he would actually be pretty... Uh... A bigger factor for us but you know as these things turn i guess i mean when bill Connolly like compiled uh like explosiveness numbers uh, after might have been 20 it was 2015 i think and I mean, he actually ranked really highly and it's not that's yeah, not I the only that. thing it's not the only thing but it's something like yeah i mean it, it points to like there could be something here for sure and i mean i test wise obviously he didn't put up like these giant numbers or anything when he was at su but I always thought there was a little bit more there, and uh, hopefully that he, he does it for the Minutemen and their weird, uh, their weird, crazy schedule they have every year. Oof. Good luck, UMass. <laughs> With, like, I feel like they're always playing, like, four SEC East teams. Well, the SEC still take any body bags they can find, so. This is true. Anyway, shout out to my sister's alma mater. <laughs> um, no fighting whipples. <laughs> I don't think she went to a game the entire time she was there. Yeah, because they're like five hours away. Well, by the end of her time, they were actually playing most of their games uh, at McGurk or whatever it is. And she still didn't go to the games. Do they not play at Gillette anymore? I don't know how many games they play at Gillette, but they don't. But I know they were playing by the end of her time at least half of them at on campus. That's good, because like, we make fun of UConn for playing so far away from, from, from campus, and that's like legitimately, if you have like any kind of traffic, that's going to be up to like 30 or 40 minutes. This is so much worse. Not playing at Gillette is like three times as bad. <laughs> Yeah. It's like all the way across the state. At least like stores in West and East Hartford are like in the relative like the general same part of Connecticut. Right. Yeah, I uh I actually just looked it up. They are not playing at Gillette. No, they're playing one game at Gillette this year. It's the BYU game. 
Okay, so I'm guessing that's what they do now. Is like they do like one or two. Yeah, because because honestly, like this year's schedule is weird. I, I I mean, this is what usually happens on this program. Uh, you just you just end up <laughs> down a rabbit hole and you're talking about UMass football. Um, that's how like before the show we're like, oh yeah, this will be maybe a shorter one, and then we end up at like an hour and fifteen minutes right. as we broke down the entirety of UMass's like last five schedules. This this home schedule is garbage. <laughs> okay, yeah, just who are you going to get to go to Amherst? No, this is this is. I mean, you can get better than this though. Uh, they got they got a week zero game against Duquesne, um, and they're on the road until late September against Charlotte. We have that early week zero now too, right? We have like yeah, that August twenty fifth for them. And there's like a bunch. I was looking looking at this the other day because I forgot if we had a an August or a September start this year, and I was trying to plan around my summer. Mm. Yeah, we got that. Then there's the September 22nd game against Charlotte. Then they're back home for October 6th against USF. Um, then they host Coastal Carolina. They host Liberty to start November. And then they're on the road again. Well, no, they're on the road. They're, then they're at Foxborough against BYU in early November. And then they don't play another game in the state of Massachusetts for the rest of the season. They have at Georgia, and then they have a bye on the final weekend of the season. I'm glad the SEC is still bringing in their uh, their brothers in arms at UMass. <laughs> but good lord, why, like, are they, why is Georgia playing them? How do you get any? I just how do you? It's basically an FCS game that doesn't count against you. It's exactly what it is. It's just funny that the entire this one division has like realized this and is taking full advantage of it. Well, it's also because the ACC doesn't need to play UMass, so they already play BC. That's not like that's not, that's I mean, not that's throwing not... shade. <laughs> that's more. Just... I was going to say because I think some people might interpret that a little differently than you meant it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, sure, that they could be shade if you really wanted to. Uh, no, but but it's the fact that like you don't really need more exposure to, to Massachusetts from a football standpoint. Yeah, no, uh, you don't really need that much anyway because right. there are very few recruits in New England. Um, I'm looking now. At last year, last year they were at Tennessee. And then Georgia Southern also played played them and, and lost because Georgia Southern was just absolutely terrible last year. Um, then they were also at Mississippi State, which I know is SEC West, um, but still. And then two years ago, I feel like they had – I think I know South Carolina played them recently. They played, they, play, they hosted Mississippi State in Foxborough didn't two they years test, ago. Didn't, didn't Vandy show up to McGurk like two years ago? And they went to South Carolina – might have been three for Vandy. I, I just know every single year there's like a weird number of these SEC schools on there. Yeah, on their they, schedule. I, I just don't understand. Like, like for some reason, uh, FB schedules like 2015 link for UMass, like just doing than how they normally have their links, just didn't work for me. Oh, it's probably dead. Oh, they were in the Mac. Okay, yeah, that's, that's why. Yeah, this uh, this doesn't make any. Okay, so 2020, uh, their schedule does not. Look all that impressive. Uh, twenty twenty one, they uh, they face in Colorado and BC. From like that's the thing. Like these are weird schedules, and like you're not going to get anybody to show. Like twenty twenty three, they have five games scheduled, and they're all road games. I'm surprised BYU's scheduling them, if only for the fact that UMass's schedule is like the ghost of like college football future for like BYU if things really don't go well. <laughs> like what the hell is this? Like twenty twenty two, their home games so far are confirmed are. EMU, New Mexico State, Liberty, and Army. Like, who's going to these games? <laughs> There's no. What was their average attendance last year? 
I'm sure it was one of the worst figures in the entire country. It, it, it can't. It could not have been more than four digits. Also, unrelated question: How is Hawaii getting University of Albany to show up in 2023? I saw that. Like, of, that's so funny. How many F, how many FCS teams are between University of Albany and University of Hawaii? I feel like it's all of them. Virtually all of them. <laughs> Save New Hampshire and Maine. Except for Maine and New Hampshire. Does Vermont Central, have a team? Do that. No, Central Connecticut State. Yeah. Um, Monmouth. I don't know. Just is like, Monmouth further further east than Albany? No idea. Um, no, it's Jersey. It can't be. True. Um, Stony Brook. Oh yeah. I guess it depends on it depends on like how you measure it, but right. Stony Brook is further east, I imagine, than Albany is. Yeah, no, that that definitely is. Th- this is stupid though. Wagner's up in the air. Yeah, like why would you? If you're Albany, there's just so many. Like, is this a recruiting tool? I don't. It, it, it must be. It's like, hey, kids, we're gonna go hang out in Hawaii for a week. I mean, I there. I don't really. If I'm an Albany player, I, I maybe unless you're like very studious, maybe uh, maybe you're annoyed. But I mean, I guess there are worse road trips. Like, it's a maybe a once in a lifetime thing. And you might actually win. There's a chance. I I think Hawaii, you know, is kind of salty. They they're interesting at least. They're not very good yet, but. They were like they were half-assed good like two years ago, and then they just sucked last year. I, I still think Rolovich uh, might like put, put it together. He's he, I think he's a I think he's a pretty good coach, and I think there's a decent chance that if he does fail, it's more about Hawaii's being a really tough situation than him being a bad coach. I think if he fails, though, I don't know, really know where like Hawaii goes from there. I don't either. Because like Norm Shaw, bring him back. Because <laughs> like you look at the Mountain West right now, and like we're gonna have a Mountain West preview episode during the summer, but like. You look at the Mountain West right now, and it's 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 Boise and San Diego State, and like maybe Fresno, and like nobody else is re- like I guess Wyoming, but like nobody's really figured themselves out consistently except for the first three I named. Like that's a that's an open opportunity for literally anyone else to just like just get mildly good. Like you saw it a couple of years ago with Wyoming getting to the Mountain West title game last year. Fresno was able to bounce back under Tedford, like. And that Fresno turnaround was so crazy that, like, it wouldn't shock me if they came back to the pack. And I don't expect them to fall back to, like, 3-9, and nine, but uh, that, that was just such a precipitous turnaround that I, I think there's a decent chance that there's some serious regression to the mean there. Uh, give me San Diego State to win that division once again. I wouldn't bet against it. Anyway. I haven't really looked at it, but I wouldn't bet against it. <laughs> that was your 7-10 to 10 minute. Uh, just UMass, complete, Hawaii, yeah, Mountain West yeah, Complete diversion um, into other stuff uh, Before halftime, we're just going to talk linebackers And then we can kind of focus a little bit more on the offense um, I know we mentioned this before uh, We're not going to get into the position chain stuff too much uh, Dan, how do you feel about the, this linebacker group and, and what are you looking for from them um, Not this fall, but more What are you looking at to see out of them on Friday night? Um, I think as long as they play like strong assignment football, I'll feel pretty decent about it. I don't expect them to obviously lead the defense like that group has for so long. Like this is the, I feel like the first really like rebuilding year for our linebackers in, in a long, long time. Um, and that's what happens when you lose like three really solid players, but you, you return guys like Andrew Armstrong and a couple others. So as long as they, they're just not making huge mistakes and, and, you know, if we get some nice plays out of them, we'll be happy, but I just think they need to to play like sound, solid football, and yeah. otherwise, like you know, uh, I, it's it's tough to really uh, imagine them breaking out and having the same impact that the Franklin uh, Paris Bennett group did. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited, and I mentioned this last week too. I'm really excited to see the Ryan Guthrie experiment, middle linebacker, and see how that goes. Just because he was such a different type of player at the JUCO ranks. Last year, we played him a defensive end a little bit. Um, he, he's more of a tackle for loss guy, which is kind of like the the old mold for Syracuse. So having having him plug in there um, versus one of the outside spots uh, definitely gets intriguing to me. Uh, if you look at this linebacker group too, like the three guys that are slated to start, we're kind of going to have to hit reset again. Um, this is kind of a stopgap year, and I don't, think, I don't really think we've had one of these at SU in a while. Um, you know, from a linebacker standpoint, I feel like uh, for the last like probably seven to ten years, we've been able to to like either have like you know three and four year guys or at least two year guys come in. Um, this year, you know, Guthrie's a senior, Armstrong's already a junior. Um, Whitner's a senior. Um, it's kind of just biding time for guys like, you know, Akeem Williams, who's going to be another stopgap. Um, he'll be a senior next year. Um, don't really know where Shai Cullen fits in, if he's going to be able to contend for a starting job or not. I think we, we're going to be looking to the future, though, with guys like Tyrell Richards, um, you know, Darius Fagan, some of the others, like uh, Kadim Trotter is probably in that conversation, too. But yeah, we haven't had a situation like this where we've had like a stopgap year or two. Um, waiting for linebackers to build, and but but again, like the, that that's what real depth is, and, and we've discussed this at length. Um, you know, the Greg Robinson ever really murdered our ability to have meaningful depth. Um, Marone only started getting to a place where there was meaningful depth um, at the end of his tenure, and then he left, um, and then the Schaefer tenure kind of knocked all that depth right back to, to to square one. So it's it's not a commentary necessarily on on Baber's system and, and calling the herd. It's more a commentary on just how much transition there's been, um, you know, at SU in these last 10 to 12 years. Yeah. And, and it's really, frankly, been kind of an anomaly that we've had such strong transition between our linebacking groups, uh, basically since like the Darrell Smith, Doug Hogue teams. Yeah. So um, I think this, this is more, you know, you, you're not always going to get like a fully clean slate, but like we just seem to, to move between like, one or two starters every year um, to like, this is going to be the first time in a long, long time that we've had no returning starters at the position. And I think most schools probably experience this a little more often than we have. So it is weird um, and a little disconcerting just because it's been such a, such a strength for a long time. Um, but ho- I think, I think the hope is that you have some of these, you know, other young guys step up and become real factors because like you said, this isn't a very young group, even if it is an experienced one. Yeah, and you know what? Like, all these guys have played. Whitner played most of his time, admittedly, um, in the secondary. Guthrie, like I said, saw some time at the end front. And then um, Armstrong, you know, has played backup to Zaire Franken for the last couple of years. So, like, their their, their starting experience might not be as much uh, for what we need. But I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this becomes a surprising group. Um, and I hope, too, that they're kind of strengthened and bolstered by the, uh, by the better play uh, other guys both in front and behind them yep definitely i think that's that's what you have to hope for and then i mean i still think we have some some talented players here so totally all of the above all right uh i think it's a little halftime for us then dan what have uh what have you been imbibing of late uh it was still a relatively uh, well no it was a relatively light weekend although i had some big uh some some nice finds let me see. I'm going back to I have to look up the date to see the last time we was the fifth. I think right after we recorded last week, 
Um, I had uh, double IP, the Road to Ruin double IPA from Two Roads, uh, which is, I've uh, talked about them a decent amount, one of my home state breweries up in Connecticut. Um, I had the Camp Wana Mango by Harpoon, which was a, a pretty nice, like, mango, uh, I'm trying to remember if it was a mango IPA or just a pale ale. I think it was just a pale ale, but it was quite good. Um, and then the biggest one that I found this week, uh, which I know you'll appreciate, is that I had a main lunch. Um, yeah. Yeah, for, uh, for dinner, so not super appropriate, <laughs> but um, it was that's one of those where, like, basically any of the big ones by main beer company, like, if I find them on a menu, I'm going to have it, so uh, I had that, and uh, I must have forgotten to check into one um, when I was at Jacob's Pickles, because they have a great beer menu, and I remember I had a second beer, and I will try to find what it was while you read yours. Fair enough. They had KBS, but I didn't have a KBS. KBS? So I saw KBS at Costco the other day. Oh, it was Mary by Hill and Farbstead, which was which oh, was there you go. Yeah, I remember when the uh, the KBS craze was insane, and yeah, now you can find it at Costco. So good to know for everyone that waited in line <laughs> all those times. That's something. I mean, I feel like KBS pops up at least around here. Like there are much harder beers to find when it's on when it's available. It seems oh, yeah. like everyone's getting it. So yeah, it's it's not not what it used to be in terms of rarity. Yeah. Um, on my end, I had from the Collective Brewing Project over in Fort Worth, I had a Wood Folk. It's an American Wild Ale aged in some sort of barrel. Um, I don't have that in front of me, but that was very good. A friend of mine sent that. Um, I stopped over. I'd had some of their beers before, but I hadn't been to the brewery uh, in the Arts District in L.A., uh, Boomtown Brewing. Um, so I had from them uh, what goes around. And then uh, Nose Job is a really good West Coast IPA uh, that I'm a big fan of. Um, felt that it was uh, it was the right. I felt like it was more on on the dank side of things, and that's usually what I'm looking for in an IPA. Like I, I enjoy uh, you know a New England style, um, but I'm a much bigger fan of the West Coast IPAs as I mentioned before. Also had a mic check from them. Just a check Pilsner. Uh, what else did I have? Uh, went to the Galaxy game on Sunday. It was really a lot of fun down in Carson. Um, beforehand, stopped over at the uh, Honest Abe uh, Cider Company. Just a, uh, a local cider and mead spot, um, not too far from the stadium. It's had their pineapple cider. Also had they had this uh, apple pie a la mead that was uh, was very intriguing. Had a lot of vanilla notes going on. I didn't hate it, um, but it definitely a little bit sweeter than I thought it was going to be. Um, I haven't had mead in a while. I went to a mead tasting once in San Francisco. That was pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend trying out some mead. Maybe you won't like it, but you never know. Um, I've had mead, but I don't think I've had it since. I think someone once when I was at SU brought some back from, uh, I think, the Finger Lights as a meadery. Oh, nice. And I'm pretty sure that's the last time I've had it. But yeah. uh, I remember being surprised by how much I enjoyed it. it. It is very sweet, though. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily big on sweet. Uh, uh, Strand Brewing makes a uh, special for uh, the StubHub Center um, beer, uh, Cuplifter IPA. It's about the uh, MLS Cups that the LA Galaxy have won, and they sell that there uh, amongst their uh, collection of other local craft beers. They actually have a really impressive uh, setup there for, for food and beer. I really like that a lot. Definitely be back. My first Galaxy game that I've been there, because uh, now that we have two teams in MLS, um, it's a little bit easier to get tickets. So that's uh, much appreciated. Um, and then also down in Houston, where I was the last two days, had uh, from Real Ale Company... Uh, Axis IPA, and then I also had from St. Arnold's uh, Summer Pills, just a uh, Hell's Lager. 
that is a very good and a staple for I'm sure most of the uh, the folks in the southeast Texas area probably drink quite a bit of it um, during these uh, these warmer months as uh, they're already getting started down there. I don't know what warm months are anymore. Yeah, well, you know what, Dan? That's that's kind of on you guys in the Northeast. You, know, you, you, you have you have options here. This, this is a very large country. You know, I don't appreciate your your California <laughs> bias here. Your liberal liberal coastal. I elite. don't know that our upstate New York listeners will appreciate me saying it's cold down here. So, <laughs> you coastal elite uh, member of the media uh, <laughs> sitting around <laughs> sitting around in your 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 ivory ivory tower slash condo. In in, in 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 very chilly sixty five degree and windy weather. You don't you don't even know the half of it. It's oh, well, I, I can so imagine the half. Of somewhat it. chilly. I, I, I once lived it, and and I never have to again. It's true. <laughs> anyway, back to cold climates in Syracuse. Um, not going to talk about Syracuse weather. Rather, we're going to talk about the Syracuse offense a little bit. Um, Dan, do you think we're going to see Antoine Cordy on offense uh, in this uh, spring game? I feel like it's going to be kind of an obligatory thing just because we've talked about it so much this spring. I think we kind of have to, right? Just yeah. like if you're not going to show him, you know, catching passes, then like what are we doing here? <laughs> like I think we all were, were pretty content with him on defense. Um, so I think I think you kind of almost have to have him do something just even if it's a, a you know, proof of concept type deal. Yeah, I, I think we see him a couple times. I think if he catches a pass or two um, and he looks good doing it, I think he'll stick around on offense in the spring game. If not, I think they'll just put him back on defense. If I yeah, either way, I mean, uh, it'd be kind of weird for me to have this whole like experiment and then have, have him just move right back like a month later. But I mean, we've uh, done it I before. That's do... true. Uh, we also, like, I think we moved Demond Merkerson positions like four times during one year, so... Um, obviously that was, that was actually Marone, but actually, no, that was Robinson and then Marone, uh, back to back seasons. But, um, so there is precedent for guys changing positions a lot. Uh, but it would be, it'd be pretty funny to like, just do this for the spring and then move him right back and been like, and he's like, oh yeah, now he's just one of our main defensive bats again. Like nothing ever happened. Well, um, I mean, so yeah. I, I wouldn't put it past Babers if just because I feel like. I feel like he likes to have a good time with with, with the local media, in the sense that like he'll <laughs> he'll have us chase something for a bit, like not in like a malicious way. Just what if he actually never moved him? What if it was all a ruse? <laughs> like he lined him up at receiver, like during like the five minutes that the media's allowed to actually walk spring yeah. practice, and, and just, went right back. just went right back to DB anytime like Stephen Bailey wasn't putzing around. Like <laughs> I feel, you know, I do feel like Julian would have sniffed that out. That's fair. <laughs> if there was one person who'd be able to to get a good read on that, I feel like it's him. I would actually like I would I would be I think if that was actually the case and there's no there's no indication that that is. But in the hypothetical world that Babers just decided to troll the the beat writers for no reason, oh, I'd respect the like, game. I, I feel kind of bad for like uh, Stephen and Nate and and Tris, but like I think at least like two of the three, um, and I don't even know who two, but like I feel like just knowing our football staff. Uh, or our football beat writers at Syracuse.com, like, they'd probably appreciate it more than most, because that'd right. be really funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would appreciate it. I, I would find it pretty entertaining. Especially because I haven't spent a ton of time writing about it. Which is... <laughs> it would definitely be... It would also definitely be one of those things that got, like, a lot of attention on the internet, just because it's like, oh, look at this goofy spring spring football storyline that happened at a, an ACC school. So, 
I'd be all for it. I don't think that's the case. I think we are actually seeing if we can move him. Yeah. Um, but part of me now is rooting for the the conspiracy theory that the the Antoine Tordy uh, position change is a is a false flag operation. Fingers crossed. Um, trying to think what else we want. I mean, to be honest, the wide receiver position is just fun in general. Um, we don't really have to talk about Riley and Butler because I feel like we talked about them a bunch last week. Um, I really want to see what we can get out of Nike Johnson. Uh, RTB, Russell Thompson Bishop, could be a really nice... Uh, I always had him pegged as a bit of a deep threat. He's in the slot right now. That could get interesting. He's not like huge. He's like 6'1", 217, so he's, he's bigger. Um, he's not going to be your Jamal Custis size. I think he's the one I'm most curious to see, and that's another one we talked about last week. Um, having him and potentially uh, Ravian Pierce inside at the same time could uh, could get really exciting if we start running some two tight end sets. We start getting some semblance of a red zone offense, which is something that's just kind of eluded us for what feels like decades now. I, I want to see a little bit of that. I know, you know, Babers is going to give away the secret sauce on that, but uh, just kind of want to see what those two guys do together um, on the field. Uh, Sherrod Johnson's another guy who, uh, you know, we didn't really get to see last year. He traveled with the team all year. Um, I'd like to see him on the outside operating too. Um, I know I'm right now looking at the, uh, you know, the pre-spring depth chart. So if Custis has moved inside, um, that's also going to shift a couple other things around. I don't really know who takes that starting role. I'd be a little worried to see Butler and uh, someone completely inexperienced, uh, whether that's, you know, Sherrod Johnson, Nikeem Johnson, uh, or even RTB, like, out there on the other side. It's just such a critical position for us, and, and, and while... While there's been turnover in there in the two years that Babers has been here, um, there hasn't been inexperienced turnover, um, and that that would be my one big worry. Um, not necessarily having because we saw what happened last year when you know when Custis was injured and we had some questions on the outside, like not necessarily having a ton of proven options to catch the ball. I mean, people have risen to the occasion, but I would be a little bit more worried than I have been in the past. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this a decent amount. Like overall, it's just such a, a big question mark that it, it, it's. It's going to be kind of a we're, we're kind of you know all learning together here what this wide receiving core is going to be aside from um, the little we know about like Sean Riley and you know Custis I think we we kind of have an idea but he hasn't really done much um, and then obviously Raven Pierce I think we said last week or two weeks ago whenever we lost about the receivers at length is like honestly probably the most experienced guys we have coming back and he just played one season so right. um, overall I, I think. I kind of appreciate it seems like Babers is really experimenting and trying to find new things and piece these, these, you know, this unit together because for the first time he doesn't have like lightning in a bottle with uh, Edatawa and he doesn't have Ishmael who we all, you know, who was an experienced player and who we all knew was going to be good, if not quite as good as he was last year. Um, you know, we, we really get to see Babers as uh, chops here, coaching receivers uh, with, with this like essentially all new group aside from like a couple uh, spots of, of, serious playing time with like Riley and Pierce and company. Yeah, I'm psyched about this. And I know I mentioned last week too, like tight end spot. Like Pierce is is, is one name, obviously it's gonna come up a lot. He uh he made a really big impact in his first season. Hopefully if the offensive line has improved this year, um and it seems like it's going to be, then we can plug in Pierce more as a receiver. Um so I'm really looking forward to seeing him. I don't know how much we're gonna see Aaron Hackett. And I mentioned him last week and I'll mention him again. Um Holy Cross transfer Jesse Connors who sat out last year um, walk on but somebody who could really get make things interesting i know we saw him a little bit in the spring game last year playing kind of a ben lewis role um, in that hybrid nonsense that that we had in the uh 
you know, method cat offense back in the day. Oh god, I had forgotten about method cat. Not the offense itself. I had just forgotten the name. I'm really mad I can't find the uh, the uh, Photoshop anywhere of, of, of Tim Lester in the uh, Samurai Pizza Cats hat. Earlier today, when the uh, the Chipotle curse Desto tweets were going around, I had this like weird like zone out moment of like, what if Chipotle got really mad at us? Um. Well, like what what if what if the website got sued by Chipotle after I made a joke about burning Chipotle down? I mean, can you real like? I feel like I you, feel like we'd be covered by like parody law. Yeah, and obviously would. I didn't actually mean to burn down the the, the Marshall Street Chipotle, but the, the thought did pop in my head. I mean, we do have. I feel like we'd be fine on a legal standpoint, just because there is there's a like almost decade long category on the site for the Chipotle curse. <laughs> that too, and I was also thinking back to how long how long it's been going, and I'm it's what at least like 2010. I think it's still since at least 2010. Yeah, so we're we're almost going on a decade now. I feel like this is. <laughs> I feel like once we're you good. make the same, once you make uh, like eight years of jokes about something that very few people are actually aware of, I think you you should be like uh, inoculated from from any kind of legal uh, troubles. Right now, of course, something happens to Chipotle. Um, Dan, I would uh, <laughs> maybe find a safe house. <laughs> I, I live like four hours away, so if, if I mean I, I should have a good alibi if uh, the Marshall Street Chipotle does burn down, um, <laughs> I'm not terribly worried. Fair enough. Anyway, um, which of these uh, offensive linemen excite you the most? I'm uh, I'm really excited to see Aaron Roberts back in action. Um, I want to see. It seems like Cervais has been getting some uh, some go with the was it guard position. Uh, Cervais is back at right tackle. I think. I think. Oh. Uh, wait, I could be wrong. Let me. I, ha- I know there's there was a whole article on this today that I did there read. I just don't have it open, and now I do. Uh, that's the next. Yeah, he's at right tackle, um, and Roberts is because you have Conway, you have Conway and Adams uh, at left tackle and right guard respectively, who have basically two years of starting experience each. Right, and then you have Roberts at left guard, Heckle at center, and Cervase down at right tackle now, who um, all have a year. So um, it's it's a pretty exciting uh, proposition, and I. I all those players, I honestly like think are, are are all pretty good. Like I, I know like the offensive line hasn't been very good as a group, but I think all those players have had moments where you can you can say like this is a, an ACC starting caliber offensive line. And as is brought up in the Syracuse.com article, like this is these are the bones of a group that that hung with uh, and and beat the Clemson defensive line, which is like one of the best defensive lines we've seen in college football in in a long long time. So, right. um, yeah, I think this is definitely. I think there's a decent chance that this becomes like a strength of the team this season, which is exciting because that has not been the case for so long. And that would just make, I think that would really be a game changer for this offense that has kind of succeeded in spite of, uh, of the offensive line for a couple of years now. Well, you and I said too, like it, it just sucked at the end of the year when the offensive line put in like three, I think like three straight solid performances. But the problem was because Dungey wasn't in because the offense was kind of a mess over the, the, the final part of the season. Like, the efforts they put in like just got kind of squandered, um, and that was unfortunate. Because yeah, I, I think it did kind of gloss it. It because of the losses, it put a bad taste on what was actually an improved group over the course of the year, and you know doing a pretty good job without Roberts being in there um, and available to us. Um, Heckel's move to center is interesting, obviously, just because he was recruited as an offensive tackle. Um, I know, obviously, people you know move around the line that happens. 
Um, I always thought, and we, we said this last year too, like you could see, it's not that Cerves was bad at center, but you could see Cerves kind of, the, the tempo of things would wear on, on his snapping ability over time. And like, he wasn't a bad blocker, but the snapping stuff did harm the team a bit. Um, especially like his, you know, Dungey was like on one leg and, you know, playing Mad Max or whatever the hell he was doing back there. So yeah, I, I think that moving him out of that center spot could be a, a help for him and a help for the whole line. I'm excited about this group um, just because, yeah, we've had those really good games um, at the end of last year. Uh, most of these guys were on the, you know, that three-game stretch we had in 2016 against, what was it, like UConn, BC, Virginia Tech. Um, where it was just this nice swing, and, and they were like really, really well-graded um, on some of the advanced metrics uh, in each of those. And, and I mean, no... Two of those teams aren't weren't exactly world beaters, but um, being able to open some holes, being able to, to to run a little bit better, and protecting Dungey most of all, um, you know, led to some wins. And, and hopefully, you know, once again, I, I think we all know anyone who's watched Syracuse knows that keeping Dungey, you know, on his on his feet um, is gonna is, is more often than not gonna result in in Syracuse at least being competitive against just about anybody. Yeah, uh, they, they've had some really nice performances, and and they bring back Roberts, who honestly was probably the best in the group. I think we were yeah. kind of saying that last year, heading into the year before he was hurt. So definitely, like I think you have to be cautiously optimistic until you actually see it, just because it's been a while since we've had great offensive line play. But I think on paper, this should be the best group since like that Justin Pugh, Zach Chabain uh, group, which had some really strong years. Yeah, and and several future NFL players with that. Yep, and Justin Pugh, who uh, I can't remember exactly how much money he just up, he just made in that new contract with the Cardinals, but I'm pretty sure it was a decent amount. So Arizona making a, a late push to be uh, to be Syracuse Southwest. It's it's probably the best the best uh, option we. I mean, you have the Jads, obviously, yeah. um, which is more coach based. New uh, but it was a Giants New, for New York's a college NFL team. It, it's very much like the life cycle of a, of a New Yorker where it was the Giants for a while and now it's it's uh, it's a team in Florida and a team in Arizona. <laughs> and the next part is the grave. So that's <laughs> not... <laughs> you said it, not me. I merely inferred it. That's, that, that's fair. Uh, as long as we all we're, actually, we're just in a golf for a while, so that'll yeah. be fine. You're going to play 18 holes in the, in the, the dry 125-degree heat. I've been I've been through Jacksonville. I can assure you that it's not a dry heat there. Oh no, I was talking about Arizona. Yes, I have not <laughs> been to Arizona, but I'm sure it's a little more uh, of a of a friendly climate than than Jacksonville, which is very large and swampy. As, uh, Arizona's hellfire in the summer, though. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't think I would do it in the summer. Although honestly, like I I don't mind the dry heat. I mean, I've been I've been to Vegas the last two summers, and I, I'll take Vegas 100 over like New York City 85. Honestly, totally. No, I, I am right there with you. I, uh, I don't know if Arizona's like much worse, but Arizona can I've been... Arizona can get significantly worse. Um, but it also depends like where you are in the area. Like Arizona was getting to like 125 last year, like no problem. Yeah, I don't need that. Yeah, that's... but like I, I was very I've been very like pleasantly surprised by how decent Vegas even at 100 is. Yeah, plus you know you get some drinks, you get by the pool, you're fine. And then nothing matters. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was another weather sidebar. Um, Dan, you think anything weird happens at, at, it's at the spring game? Think there's anything Babers says? There anything that we're not expecting happens? Are we? Does somebody get 
come out with 44? Like, what are we looking at here? Uh, I think we'll see at least one, uh, like, pretty fancy trick play, just to, like, win the crowd over. But overall, I think it'll be a pretty uh, reserved spring game experience. But I, I expect at least, like, one or two flashy plays just to, like, get some headlines. I, I agree. I, I, I'm not expecting anything wild. I'm expecting... I mean, the craziest... To be honest, I think the funniest thing would be that the situation we described earlier of uh, everyone just getting the rug pulled out from under them on a Cordy. Uh, that would be a thing that, like, that like most people in the building wouldn't appreciate, but, like, a couple people would note it. Like, the really diehard fans would notice and be like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> why? <laughs> what? Why did you do why, this? Why, why, was Al- why was this? Why did we do any of this? <laughs> I also am, like, just curious in general, like, some of the guys that, like, Swiss positions, if that'll actually stick. Guys like uh, Schritzinger and uh, Perkins in particular. Um also, I didn't mention him earlier, but I do kind of want to see uh, Ifutu Melifamu. I know I probably just murdered his name, but um, he was somebody who was like pretty highly touted. Michigan made that late push on him, um, and he ended up sticking with us. Um, I do want to see him at corner. He came in as a safety, so I am curious just kind of how much work he gets there. Um, and, and maybe he ends up getting into the rotation this year, since, again, highly touted guy. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh I think all of these, you know, all these new guys that are, aren't Tommy DeVito, like, it, uh, obviously we know Tommy, DeVito, Tommy DeVito is going to be probably the focus, but, like, any new player that you can see on the spring game, that's always exciting because it really is the, the first action you get to see versus, like, um, you know, obviously we all like to see our friends back in action, but um, I think, like, the one thing you can really take away is just to see how a guy, like, moves around the field and, and looks in the jersey, and, and these are, like, dumb things that don't really matter until September, but... They are something you can like cling on to for the next couple months. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, where are you watching? Home, office? Um, uh, probably home. I will be doing the same. Um, but hopefully, some of you guys go out, and if you don't want to, that's fine. Again, spring game doesn't matter. Yeah, if you're in the Syracuse area, like I get it. If you don't want to go, but like but we have nothing free. going on. Yeah, you're not. It's yeah, free. You're, you're doing anything? It's free. Parking's free. <laughs> Bring the kids, get some autographs. I, I think they usually have the new schedule poster, which is always fun. Yeah. Um, if you get one, feel free to send one down to me. Same here. Um, yeah. So. Although I have no there, there are worse it. ways to spend the day. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it'll be fun again. Looking forward to it. It's nice for me because I actually get to watch it at four p.m. and then, and then still have the entirety of my evening. Always good. Always, always good. Anyway, uh, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much obliged. Yes, always a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, everyone, uh, be sure to rate, review, subscribe uh, on iTunes on Blog Talk for Troy News and Absolute Podcast. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's other places that you can evaluate us or whatever. Feel free to say nice things. Um, or if you don't want to say nice things, just email it to us. I, I, I enjoy hate mail. I, I, I'll usually post it to Twitter and just start messing around with you. So. Yeah, I was going to say, we reserve the right to like probably take your email address off, depending on how we're feeling about it, but to post it to Twitter and make fun of you. I usually do. Shout out to that guy that, uh, that, that said that he was, for the first time, he was ashamed to have a Syracuse jury after reading one of my articles. He didn't say which one, though. That's so, unfortunate, because that, that's the information you need. That's critical info. And then he also had some grammatical errors within his, art, his, uh, his letter which I just found to be um, unfortunate for him as someone who was correcting somebody else's grammar and syntax. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ashamed to get emails that aren't grammatically correct from fellow <laughs> Syracuse alumni. Just, I, I hope one day I, I can be so self-satisfied to, to be a, an old man yelling at 
at, at, at kids for not being, I was also, sh- I was also millennial shamed for, for those who haven't had the, 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 the experience before. It's, it's, it's great to be a 30 year old man told, told by a fellow adult, um, you know, what you should and shouldn't be doing. How dare you be born in the years following 1984, John? I, I had everything to do with it too. Ugh. I, I, I time looped. And what gall? <laughs> I time looped and then made sure I had the dates to be after 1984, like on purpose. <laughs> anyway, that was oh, Dan. Gosh. I'm John. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening again. Be sure to watch the spring game in some way, shape, or form, and uh, go orange. Go orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.